love that song. I think I could sing it almost every week, but that might get a little monotonous. All right, I want to let you know one more thing, and that is next week um, we will have a guest speaker here who you guys have never met. Uh, Pastor Mike Bard, who has stepped in to help carry on our children's ministry uh, and oversee it in uh, Yorktown. Uh, we have a couple of ladies who've been doing children's ministry in Yorktown who are pregnant. <laughs> Pastor Hender said, I got to get somebody who can't get pregnant to be in here. And uh, so he picked a guy, of course. And anyway, so Pastor Mike has been doing that for us. He and his wife, Beth Ann, who led worship here last week, uh, have come from a church planting ministry in Richmond to Coastal. And uh, so we're glad to have them here. And in all of the uh, changes and shifting among staff members, uh, one or two of our preachers are not available to come preach here right now. So I've asked Pastor Mike if he would come, and he has uh, graciously consented to do so. So you come, and uh, you'll get to meet him and hear him open the scriptures to you uh, next Sunday. Because I won't be in town next Sunday, we'll be on vacation. And uh, last week when I was in Yorktown preaching, I was talking about the likeness of God and how we should imitate God and how children in their, uh, as they grow begin to imitate their parents. And so it was a great opportunity for me to show off my grandson. This picture has no relation to my message, but that's my grandson. So that's where I will be next week, snuggling with that little guy. And uh, so anyway, just because you haven't seen a picture of him yet, I don't think, unless you've asked to see my phone, which has numerous more than that. So anyway, that was, that's all. Uh, no good reason other than he's really cute and, and snuggly and fun. So he's about eight months old, and uh, anyway, that's where I'll be next weekend and uh, for a few days after. So today I want to talk a little bit, though, about uh, our next section of Scripture, and I want to give one little brief caveat. It would be very easy for us and, uh, and I realize it's, it's interesting right now in this uh, season in church history that I am very aware that as I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking to you guys, but I'm also talking to people who are listening. <laughs> and uh, people last week who were watching online, and it won't be too terribly long. I think within a couple of months, we are uh, going to also have video here and at Deer Park so that if you are unable to be here, you will be able to see what's happening uh, at our campus as well. Uh, so I think that's coming uh, before too long down the road, and we're going to be uh, really happy for that. But I'm very aware that there are people that are listening or watching uh, what's going on. And let me just tell you, because I know you'll be really excited about this, there was a family that we know from our history from a former church that watched last week's live stream from Yorktown, saw me preach, and this week sent me a little card with some nice thoughts in it, but a check for $100 for the building in Gloucester. How cool is that? So anyway, I was really, really uh, appreciative of that. And uh, so that continues to move along. No official word uh, yet, but we are making progress on our building discussion, so you'll, you'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. Um, we, so I, I want you to know that it is very easy for us to look at what we're studying right now if we take it out of the context of the first several chapters of Ephesians and maybe think, this almost sounds like we got to behave ourselves in a certain way to be pleasing to God. And so I don't want us to divorce this. That is the only downfall I can think of in preaching 
the way we do very often here at Coastal through a book of the Bible is if we forget the larger context of the salvation we have in Christ through faith by the grace of God alone, uh, we could almost start in chapter 4 and think, oh, you've got to behave a certain way. So that's not what this is, right? The Bible doesn't teach that we behave to be pleasing to God. We behave in a certain way because it's pleasing to God, and we want to honor him for what he's done for us in Christ, and he gives us the strength to do it, right? So that's, that's where we are. Prior to, or kind of actually partway into our ministry experience, my wife and I have been uh, involved in ministry for a, a lot of years now, and uh, partway in, uh, back in the right around 1990, I don't remember the exact years, but we really sensed that perhaps God wanted us not only involved in church planting, but overseas. And so we began pursuing, while I was a pastor at a church, the possibility of going somewhere in the world. And uh, we took a, a trip to visit, having been invited by some friends to come and visit and do some speaking in Australia. And while we were there, just became convinced, man, this is I think this is our next step in ministry. And so we began to pursue that. And uh, that's been a long time ago now. But it is an amazingly beautiful land with some really incredible people and a profound need for the gospel. We, it was amazing to me. It's one of those places, it's like Hawaii. If you say you're going there as a missionary, people are like, yeah, right. Because um, it's incredible. But Jody gave her testimony at a ladies' event when we were there, and there was a 93-year-old woman in that group who had never in 93 years heard the gospel. That was in, just blew my mind uh, that that's a possibility. But at any rate, all the stuff that we think of is there, right? Kangaroos and koalas and kookaburras and lorikeets, all the stuff you go in a big cage at Bush Gardens now and it flies around, they're just native there. Um, you know, all those things. Cockatiels. I asked someone one day, what, is that tree, is that an evergreen? He just looked at me and said, yeah, all trees are evergreens in Australia. I said, oh, okay. Um, but some of their wildlife is not so pleasant. Four out of the 10 most poisonous snakes in the world are indigenous to Australia. And so, you, you know, there, there's that, and it wasn't pleasant. But the thing that was really the worst was all the spiders they have. All sorts of varieties of spiders, some of which are really nasty. We were in a, a place called the Blue Mountains, and as we walked along, there was just this little guy, just a little spider. Uh, I mean, big enough you could see him from standing up, but not, you know, not like tarantula size. And he was just kind of sitting up on his haunches with two of his legs like this. And the guy with me said, yeah, you need to avoid him. He'll extend your stay by a couple of weeks. I'm like, gee whiz. And uh, so they told us, because we were considering coming there, here's the practice. When you have to get up at night and go to the loo, make sure you turn the light on. Don't leave the lights out so you can stay sleepy. Turn the lights on because, you know, critters will scamper away with the lights. I'm like, good night. Where, where are we going? They have a particular spider, though, that is... They say is really good, but it's scary as all get out. They call it the huntsman. And they get really big. And, you know, when my sister has said, man, I killed a huge spider, she means one this big. 
But these are like big. They're, I saw one on a wall one time that was like inches, inches, inches. It was really, he was across a gymnasium from me. And I went to get Jody and say, hey, look at that. And it was gone. You know, they say what you can't see won't hurt you. That does not include spiders. Um, but anyway, they like them in Australia because they eat other spiders, including the poisonous variety. And I had a, one of the missionaries told me one day of an occasion where they were visiting someone else and they were up in the middle of the night and they turned the lights on and there were like quite a few of those guys on the ceiling that scattered quickly when the lights came on. Well, that's a fine how do you do. In God's grace, we ended up not in Australia to live, in, uh, though it's an amazing place. Well, listen, I want to tell you, there's kind of that analogy here in our section in Ephesians 5. We're talking about light and darkness and what light does to the darkness. So that's what this whole section is going to be about, and I'm just calling it walk in the light. That's what, what we are challenged to do, and it's related to those first couple of verses of chapter 5, which I know last week Pastor Nate uh, really spent his time focusing on forgiveness, and, and uh, so it's really, really an important topic, and I'm glad he did that. Um, these first two verses of chapter 5 aren't technically part of the section that Pastor Sean gave me to preach, so let me just touch on them quickly, though. Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our, our intention is to imitate God, and I think the rest of this chapter is giving us some specifics on how we do that. The first of these things is moral purity. I tell you what, my heart was burdened as I began to study this next section, because it's really from verses 3 down through 7, like the first half of today's section is about the importance of moral purity. And man, our culture has completely gone off the rails as it relates to this. And I think that there are, there are numerous people who would consider themselves to be part of the church, generally speaking, would, would say they're people of faith, who have allowed some of these things to really slip. So I, I want to just join with Paul and restate kind of the standards. Here's what God views as moral purity. Let's read the verses together. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Man, those are some incredibly strong words. You would sound like a, a Puritan, right? It's just a very, very narrow view of morality that's expressed here. So can I, let me just kind of go through it kind of quickly, but I, I don't feel like it would be fair not to be honest with what the text says. So let's talk first, about, first of all about our actions. Verse 3, 
Sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. I realize those aren't all actions. Some of that is attitude related. Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of the established boundary of marriage. It's not, I don't have to be more detailed than that, right? It's not, God has, is the one who has said marriage is honorable and the marriage bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. People who are involved in sexual activity outside of the established bounds of God by marriage are involved in sexual immorality and all impurity. So if you're not involved in something that would be considered an an activity that is sexually immoral, it says all impurity, a much more general term. It would Uh, include thoughts and impure motives and all of those kind of things. So obviously in today's society, they didn't obviously have a lot of (laughs) internet pornography back in the day, back when this was written anyway. But there is a a sense of, of the impurity even of our minds that ought to be just simply not included in what we do. It shouldn't even be named among us. Treating someone as an object for our pleasure or fulfillment is is a violation of this concept. I find it really interesting that he put covetousness in here, don't you? I think it's really fascinating, but really it's the root of the rest, right? Covetousness is wanting more than what I have, wanting more maybe than I should have. Uh, Covetousness is wanting what someone else has. So those things are all related to this business of morality. It's a desire to acquire more and more. That shouldn't even be named. Those things are, are inconsistent with a claim to Christianity. That's not something that our culture wants to hear. It's, uh, those things are just part of the dating scene in many cases anymore. That stuff is just part of, it's just what people do. I had someone ask me one time, how do you know that sex between two people who aren't married is included in the word fornication? I said, it's the definition of the word fornication. They didn't accept that. Well, I don't know what to tell you. It's like saying this chair is, I don't know what color that is, so it's probably not a good, we'll call it maroon, okay? Let's say that chair's not maroon, it's green. Everybody would agree it's not green, unless you're colorblind. I don't know what color you think that is, but it's not green, I can tell you that. That's what the word means. And in our culture, we have to be willing to say these things shouldn't even be named among us. Our our actions are important. Verse 4, our speech Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Filthiness is just when you act in defiance of moral standards, and there ought to be embarrassment. Do you ever hear the phrase anymore, you ought to be ashamed of yourself? I remember hearing that as a kid growing up. It occurred to me as I was putting this together, I never hear that phrase anymore. Nobody ever says, you should be ashamed of yourself. It it doesn't seem like we feel we should be ashamed of anything. But we should be ashamed of filthiness, foolish talk. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of using Greek because I figure most people don't care that I know Greek words. But I can tell you this, the first 
Five letters of this word in Greek are moros. And it is the word from which we get the word moron. Don't talk like an idiot. Don't talk stupid, right? Uh, it's, <laughs> I love that the Bible can be that blunt. Foolish talk. Crude joking. Oh boy, it's getting a little closer to home maybe. Vulgar expressions, indecent content. It's the reason I watch rarely ever watch even little bits of secular comedians because it's part and parcel of their stuff. They talk about stuff that has at the very least innuendo and, and crude implications, if not just outright vulgarity. Those things ought not to be part of what we do. But instead, again, I find this interesting, thanksgiving. Rather than those things, we should express thanksgiving. <laughs> I love that we should be using our words to give thanks to God for his graciousness and his gifts to us, rather than being crude and coarse and vulgar. Those things are not to be part of what we do, not because we're prudes, but because God deserves better than that. God deserves to be honored and lifted up. And God is completely pure, right? Completely, totally, perfectly, morally pure. And if we're going to honor him, we should begin to reflect that more and more. So we should be thankful I think even Thanksgiving includes Thanksgiving for God's gift of sex in the confines of marriage. It's a good gift. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing, right? We should be thankful that God gave us that kindness. Our actions, our speech, and our heart. Man, this, these next few verses are just a little scary, right? You may be sure of this. Everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or covetous, all the things in verse 3, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. People whose lifestyle is characterized by these things give evidence that they are not part of God's kingdom. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Don't let culture's smooth presentations mislead you. It's, it's idolatry, right? It is putting something in the place of God. There are a number of things in our culture today that I think are in the place of God. Certainly sex is one of them. It is something that we have given our attention to in an undue fashion differently than what we should and in a greater measure than we should when God should have that place. God judges this. The wrath of God comes on people who do this. They lead to the wrath of God. So do not be partners, partakers with them. Man, that is so incredibly serious, so incredibly important. Moral purity is its really significant. We don't try to live morally pure lives so God will be happy with us. We seek to walk in moral purity because God has cleansed us of all of our sin, and our lives ought to reflect that. Secondly, talking about living 
proof. Verse 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. There's an important contrast here to start with, and that is between light and darkness. You were darkness, you are light. I like that he doesn't just say you were in darkness. That's certainly true. He doesn't just say we were in it and now we're in the light. That, that's definitely true. But he says something more profound. Before you were darkness, now you are light. The change is in you, not in your surroundings. You, were, you weren't just in darkness. Darkness was in you previously. And now you are light So we must walk as children of light. We must be lights. Matthew 5, 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. We are now light. Man, that's so powerful to me. Light is known by its effects. Light, if you turn it on, drives out the darkness. You go into a dark room, even with a flashlight, and you will be able to see things. Light, by nature, just drives out darkness. That's, that's the point of the rest of this section of Scripture. The right root bears the right fruit. Fruit is the natural result of a tree's health. We actually talked about this at the men's breakfast yesterday morning, which is third third Saturday of every month, men, by the way, 7 o'clock. Homemade breakfast and the whole nine yards. Anyway, um, the, if, if you have the right root, you naturally bear the right fruit. And so the fruit of righteousness is... All that is good and right and true. Good is just moral excellence. Righteousness is, of course, a hot heart posture. And true, truth is just talking about honesty and reliability. John MacArthur's put it this way. Goodness pertains to our relationship with others. Righteousness, our relationship to God. And truth primarily to our personal integrity. And so our goal is to be discerning what the will of God is. It is a growth process, right? All of this is a process of growth. None, this doesn't all just automatically change and look at this, everything, and I'm just morally pure and perfect all the time. We're in the process of learning how to discern what God's will is. I like these words from Second Peter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now again, faith alone saves us. But once we have trusted Christ and we're saved, we ought to supplement it with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I'm nearsighted. 
I can see okay. If I took my glasses off, I, could, I can read if everything's right about here. The further away it gets, the less likely I am to see it. But you can get so nearsighted that you're practically blind. I had a, there was a pastor of the church I attended when I was in Bible college that was nearly blind, and he read his Bible like this. He could only see it if it was this close. And so you'd hear him, and it would sound just muffled like that because he could barely see. But we don't want to be unfruitful or unproductive, right? Light brings visibility. Starting in verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Well, that's for next week, right? Listen, there is something unfruitful. I've often said, I've heard Pastor Sean say many times, God's boundaries, God's borders that he has given to us, the the obligations we have to obey God and the lines over which we may not step are not given to us for restriction. They're given to us because God wants what's best for us. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to be productive for the kingdom. And when these other things are part of our life, it makes us unproductive. These are works of darkness that are the opposite of the fruit of light, right? They're they're things that we should not be participating in. And when, when they're exposed, they show up. So we should not take part. I know it. It's awkward when someone is discussing or talking or being dirty or impure in some way and we don't participate. It's awkward, but we ought not to participate. So there are works of darkness, and they do not produce good fruit. So we ought to walk toward the light. Light exposes that which is dirty or needs to be different. When we turn the lights on in a, in a space or we shine the light in a particular way on something that's dirty and we didn't realize it, we're sometimes taken back a little bit because light exposes impurities. And once it's seen, it can be changed. That's the advantage of there being light. Yeah, I think he's giving the gospel here in, in kind of seed form in verse Uh, Verse 14, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I think there is a a sense of the gospel here. We ought to walk toward the light. And as we walk toward the light, things will be exposed that we will want to change in our life. It's it's the natural part of the process of growth. I, I walk toward the light, and the light begins to expose things that have to be different, and so I make them different, not because it makes me more pleasing to God. When God looks at me, he sees me in Christ. He sees me perfectly righteous, but I want to be an actual reflection of what God sees me as in Christ, so I have to walk toward the light. So let me just give you a couple of thoughts to take with you. What in your life would you want to change if it were going to become publicly visible. <laughs> I realize there are 
perhaps things in our life that none of us would want anybody else to see. But I'm talking about the, the things that you know are part of your life that are, that are wrong, that you should not be doing or thinking or participating in. What in your life would you want to change if it was going to be here next Sunday? And what is keeping you from changing it now is the question. Not Obviously, we can't and aren't going to do that even if we could. But what's keeping you from changing it? Is it just that it's hidden? Is it just that it's in the darkness? Get rid of it. Bring it into the light. Get connected with your, an accountability relationship that you can work with and they can help you change what's in the light. You, you need to get it in the light so you can see it, so you can change it. That's the whole point and purpose. We ought to walk in the light so that our lives can reflect the moral purity that is God's. It's really important. It's, it's very countercultural today, right? So let's be thankful for God's good gifts to us. Let's keep them in their appropriate context that God has ordained and honored and let's let's work at becoming increasingly pure as we discern the will of god as it relates to these things it's really really important all right let's have a word of prayer nate's going to come back and lead us in a closing song all right thanks father uh things like this aren't even always easy to to think about and i know that uh for the most part i suspect people here are are working at this. And, uh, but Lord, we all have uh, areas of our life that we need to have the light expose the impurities. And so I pray that you would do that. Even, even today, give us courage, Lord. It's hard to bring things out into the light. It's hard to, to stop things that are just kind of patterns for us. And we may have fallen into habits of uh, speech or allowed thoughts in our mind and heart that are, that are impure or uh, perhaps even behaviors that are dishonoring to you as it relates to our moral purity. We want to be people of the light. So I pray that you would bring us to uh, uh, often to repentance, that we might change those things, bring us uh, good sense to be involved with other people in our life who can help us if there's some particular besetting sin. Lord, we want our lives to evidence the fact that we are yours, not that we are facing your wrath. And so I pray that you would uh, be pleased to change us today. Make us people who are more like you.